Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. just want to go ahead and open up in prayer and continue our worship by studying the Word of God. Father God, we do thank you. Thank you once again for your presence. Thank you for for answering prayers and for giving us the privilege to come to you in prayer. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would touch hearts, those in the room and those in other places on the campus, those online who are viewing, and even those who will be listening to the audio Uh, sometime in the future. We pray over them as well, Father. Lord, I pray for fresh filling of your spirit, and I pray that you help me to rightly divide your word of truth. May I decrease, Lord, and may you increase. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as creatures who are made in the image of God, and I'm sure you heard that phrase before, We're made in the image of God. But one of the things that means is that we have a free will. In other words, we can make decisions. We can make choices. And by definition, a decision is a conclusion or resolution reached after consideration. After going through various options and reasons, you come to a conclusion about a situation. It's your choice. In other words, when when you come to a decision, you have made up in your mind to act or to not act, to speak or to not speak. And of course, we make decisions on what we wear. We decide on what we eat, what we say. Of course, we decide on what actions to take, what to do, in other words. But of course, the most important decision we'll make in our lives is who we're going to serve. What God do we choose to serve? In Joshua, you'll see this scripture in chapter 24, verse 15. Now, at this point, Joshua is speaking with the children of Israel. And then he says in his speech to them, he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, of course, those idol gods, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and as for my house, my family, we will serve the Lord. In other words, Joshua is saying, hey, I've made my choice. My family has, we, we made our choice about who we're going to serve. How about you? If you're going to serve the God of the Bible, the true and the living God, the God of the universe, then live for him. Live to honor and glorify him, as it says in the song. But if you're not going to live for him, if you're not 
going to really make him your God personally, put your faith in him, then, then, then draw a line in the sand and step on the side that you're really on. And so the most important decision, besides, of, of course, there's various decisions we make, but the most important decision, and Joshua hit the nail on the head, is who we're going to serve. And of course, we know that choosing the Lord is the best decision that we'll ever make. And if, and if you're here tonight, if you're viewing tonight, and if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you haven't repented and made him your Savior and Lord, tonight will be a great night to make that decision. The most important decision we can make but now apart from that, even as Christians, we can, we, can, we can still make some bad decisions, some bad life decisions. But the question is, what causes us to make poor decisions? Or how do we avoid falling into what I call the, the bad decision trap? And what we're going to do tonight is walk through our text. We're going to move through the scriptures tonight and we're going to leave with a better understanding of those questions that I pose to you. And so our text tonight is coming from Mark chapter 6, beginning at the 14th verse, and we'll go to verse 29. And it says that King Herod heard of him. He heard of Jesus. For his name had become well known. And he said, said to who? Well, Matthew 14 tells us that Herod was speaking to his servants. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Now, therefore, these powers are at work in him. Now, this King Herod is also known as Herod Antipas and Herod the Tetrarch. See, in the Roman Empire, a tetrarch was the governor of one of four divisions of a country or a province. Now, Herod Antipas, this King Herod in our lesson tonight, he was the son or a son of Herod the Great. And his mom was a lady named Malthase. She was a Samaritan woman. And this Herod Antipas was the same son of Herod the Great, that same Herod the Great who, who killed all of those children two years old and younger because he was trying to kill the young child Jesus because he was seen as a threat to his throne. And so Herod the Great was, was, was this king's father, that same man. Now, after the death of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas was appointed by Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire, tetrarch of the areas of Galilee and Perea. And Perea, if you look at your Bible maps, is on the east side of the Jordan River. But one thing that stands out to me about this King Herod, about uh, Herod Antipas, is that he heard of Jesus because... The scriptures tell us his name had become well known. And my prayer is that Jesus' name will continue to grow in fame. That, that his name will continue to be well known. 
And when I talk about name and when the Bible talks about the name of God, it is talking about more than an identifier. No, it is talking about who he is. That's all wrapped up in the name. And it's my prayer that that people will truly know who the God of the Bible is, that people will truly know who Jesus is. Yes, we pray that his name will become even more famous. And in verse 15, it says, others said it is Elijah. And others said it is the prophet with, if you notice in the scriptures, has a capital P. Or like one of the prophets. Now, it's no surprise that some people thought that Jesus was Elijah, the prophet. And that's because Elijah, by the power of God, had worked many miracles. And one of the miracles that Elijah did or that God did through him was raise a widow's son back to life. And also, some people may have thought that he was Elijah because in Malachi 4, 5, there, there's a scripture with a, a prophecy in it. And it says that Elijah will come before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that great and dreadful day of the Lord, of course, is referring more to the second coming of Christ. And so some people, once again, thought he was Elijah. Herod Antipas, oh, John the Baptist, came back to life. And then some thought he was that prophet that Moses has spoken of. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so they thought that Jesus was that prophet and they were correct in identifying Jesus as that prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18, 18. But of course, Jesus is more than a prophet. The scriptures say that he is Lord of Lords. He is the ruler of all rulers. He is the king of kings. There's no other king higher than he is. And if you go through Hebrews, if you're blessed to read that letter to the Hebrews, you'll also see that not only is he prophet and Lord and king, that he's also our high priest. And even more than that, the scriptures tell us in John 1 that he is God in the flesh. He is the word of God, in other words, with and you'll notice it has a capital W if you read John chapter 1. You see, when you talk about word, Jesus being the word, or when you talk talk about any words or messages, what they do is express the heart of the person who was sending out that message or those words. And so in Jesus being called the word of God, it is saying that he is the full expression of God, the father. So if you have seen him, you've seen the father. If you want to know how the invisible God is, the invisible father is, then you look at Jesus, the word of God. Just like if you want to know what's in my heart, you would read some of the essays I wrote. Or maybe we would read some of the letters 
Some of you wrote, and we can see what's in your heart so we can see who God the Father is, how God the Father is through Jesus. So he's more than a prophet. This is the word of God, God in the flesh. Verses 16 through 18, it says, but when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. And Luke chapter 9 even adds that Herod wanted to see Jesus. For Herod himself, back in Mark 6, 17, Herod himself had sent and he laid hold of John and he bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he, that is Herod Antipas, had married Herodias. And because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful. It is not, it's not lawful under the Mosaic law or the law of Moses for you to have your brother's wife. And in Luke chapter 319, it also says that John rebuked him for all the evils that Herod Antipas had done. Then there's another tidbit in Matthew chapter 14, verse 5. And it says that although Herod wanted to put John the Baptist to death, he feared the crowd of people, the multitude, because the people saw John the Baptist as a prophet. And so he held him in prison as long as he could. He didn't want to make the crowd angry. But here in verse 17, in case you didn't notice, the narrative goes to the past. And it goes to the past to show us what led to John the Baptist's death. Now also remember that Jesus had departed to Galilee when he had heard that, that, that John was put in prison. And you read that in Matthew 4.12 and Mark 1.14. And so he began his Galilean ministry after John the Baptist was put in prison. But now we get some details. It's all fleshed out now on exactly what happened. And so we see that he was put into prison for telling Herod Antipas the truth about his sinful relationship with Herodias. And Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus. And Aristobulus was Herod Antipas's half-brother. And so... He took on this marriage to his niece. And she was also the granddaughter of Herod the Great. Now, the other sinful thing about it is that Herod Antipas was already a married man. But because he took a liking to Herodias, he divorced his wife to marry her. And at the time, she was married to his other half-brother, Herod Philip the first. Now, this isn't Herod Philip the Tetrarch. This is Herod Philip, who was a private citizen. And of course, she would leave her husband, Herod's half brother, for him. And so, John the Baptist, of course, using the word of God, told him about himself. That what you're doing is not lawful, it is sinful. And even the scriptures say this, so you can kind of get an idea of where he got this from. And this is from the New Living Translation. It says, do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife, for this will violate 
your brother. So no doubt John the Baptist would have known the Mosaic law and would have shared something like this with him. But they got upset with him and put him in prison. But I like the fact that John the Baptist was bold enough to speak the truth about sin. And this shows us that no one, including politicians, is exempt from the requirement to do wrong and to refrain. I'm sorry, from the requirement of of doing right and to refrain from doing wrong. And so not even politicians are exempt from that to do right and to not do wrong. And again, John the Baptist was so bold in sharing that with him, was not intimidated by his title, was not intimidated by his position. And therefore, Herodias held it against him. So his wife held it against John the Baptist. She wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and he was also a holy man. And, and so Herod Antipas actually protected him. And when he heard John the Baptist, he did many things. And some translations say that, that Herod Antipas would be very perplexed or disturbed when he heard John the Baptist speak. Another translation would say that, that Herod did much of what John the Baptist said. And what's weird about this is that Herod actually heard him gladly. Very interesting because he heard him gladly, but he still didn't repent. He still didn't turn from sin and he didn't turn to God in faith. He didn't go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. But I wonder how many people do this today. They, they hear many things from churches. They go to church and they read some biblical material. They even crack open the scriptures and read verses. And, and they're interested in what they read. And they're interested in what they've heard. And oh, that, that speaker was great and so forth. But they still fail to respond in a way that God will be pleased with. They, they still fail to respond. And repentance and faith. But they hear those messengers of God gladly. They, they read those scriptures gladly. But don't want to completely commit their lives to God. And, and we see this in our example tonight in Herod Antipas. Then in verse 21 it says, Then an opportune day came. When Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men or leaders of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, possibly in a sexually suggestive way, it pleased Herod. And it pleased those who were there celebrating his birthday with him. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he also swore to her, gave her a promise. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, she said to Herodias, what shall I ask? And Herodias said, the head of John the Baptist. So this was an opportune day for Herodias to carry out her wishes and kill John the Baptist. 
So Herodias, his daughter, she, she went to her mom for advice. And if you're reading the story, if you're keeping up with the text, we know that Herodias was not a good person to get advice from. She was not a good source for advice. And so the question for us is, who are we getting advice from? Is it somebody who, who sticking to the scripture? Is it somebody who has a strong walk with the Lord? Is it someone who's going to speak the truth in love? They're not going to care about how much money you make. They're not going to care about how handsome you look or how beautiful you look. They're not going to care about your position. They're going to still give you godly advice. So who are we getting advice from? In Psalm 3730, and I'll look at the New Living Translation again, it says the godly offer good counsel. The godly people offer good advice. They teach right from wrong. Why is that? Because they use the word of God, the written word of God as the basis for their counsel or advice. And they won't sugarcoat it. They'll speak the truth in love, but they won't sugarcoat the truth. Because they know that sin, they know that bad decisions will lead people in the wrong direction and they want people to be blessed. They, they have the heart of God to love on people enough to speak the truth to them. And so the godly will offer good counsel, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Herodias's daughter did not get advice from a godly person. In verse 25, it says, immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Now, that's that's an interesting phrase because the same Greek word that is used to describe exceedingly sorry for Herod Antipas is the same Greek word to describe how Jesus felt in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 38. So this man was in agony over his decision. And yet because of the oaths, because of the promises and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. He didn't want to turn her down and change his mind about what he had said. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded John the Baptist in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, to Herodias' daughter. And many historians and Bible scholars uh, believe that her daughter's name was Salome. But she she gave the head of John the Baptist to her mother Herodias on a platter. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took away the corpse. And the scriptures say that they laid it in a tomb. And I even like what Matthew 14, 12 adds to this. It didn't stop there, but it says that they also went and told Jesus. Now, obviously, as we see from our lesson tonight, this Herod Antipas, King Herod, he made some bad decisions, a series of bad decisions in his life. He made a poor decision in marrying Herodias, his half-brother's wife. He made a bad decision in offering to do 
whatever Herodias's daughter wanted him to do. And then on top of that, made promises and oaths regarding this. And then he made a bad decision in following through and having John the Baptist killed. But one thing I want to do before we move on in our study and close us and close us out tonight is clarify this topic of decisions and decision making. Now, obviously, what I want to point out is that decisions start in our minds. But under this umbrella of decisions that, of course, begin in our minds, we go, in, we go through the weeding out process of good ideas, bad ideas, and so forth, reasons and all that stuff. We do that in our minds, come to a decisions. But under that umbrella, what I want to share with you is that within this topic, I'm addressing the words and I'm addressing the actions that reveal the conclusions that people come to in their minds. Because what's decided in the mind many times will be acted out or spoken. And also in addressing these bad decisions, as, as we navigate through this topic tonight, I want to also let you know that we're not putting much attention on bad decisions that do not result in sin. I'm, I'm not talking about decisions, for example, on, on what you eat before you go to bed. You know, some people eat a light snack before they go to bed and some people, they want to eat a chimichanga before they go to bed and then they get heartburn. Now, no, we're not talking about those types of decisions, although that's probably a bad decision to eat something spicy before you go lie down for the night. And so in those cases, yes, we still want to pray for wisdom, but we're not talking about those types of decisions tonight. But what I do want to address are the decisions that come from an impure or bad motive, although the actions and the words may not necessarily be sin. For example, like buying furniture for your house, that's not a sinful action, but it can come from an impure motive if you're buying the furniture because you want to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, so the the motive of a decision could be bad, can be impure, even though the action itself or the words themselves may not be bad. But I also tonight want to make sure that you know that we're, that we're addressing the decisions that do, of course, involve sinful actions and sinful words. So the decisions that come from an impure motive, and then, of course, the decisions that result in sinful words, and in sinful actions. As we see from our text, sometimes as a result of our bad decisions, one thing that happens is that someone gets hurt in the process. In our study tonight, we saw that a man's life was taken because of somebody's bad decisions. We saw that other people were hurt. John the Baptist's disciples were hurt, heartbroken in the process because of somebody's poor decision making. We also see that in the a result of our bad decisions is that there is loss. We see that there is also regret. 
And we see that in the beginning of our lesson tonight because Herod Antipas, he's concerned. He shows that there's some regret there. Why? Because he, he, he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist reincarnated. He's fearful of that. And so it could lead to regret. Then, of course, our bad decisions could lead to our hindrance in our fellowship with God. But now using the people in the text. We can learn some of the reasons. That that people fall into what I would call the bad decision trap. Now, we can't see into Herod Antipas's mind. We, we can't see into Herod or Herodias's mind. We can't look into their mind to see what kind of decisions they arrived at mentally. But we can discern what decisions they've made because of the words and because of the actions that we see in the scriptures. Now, the reason I call it the bad decision trap is because it's something that we can get caught up in. We can get trapped in. And traps are not pleasant. They're not fun. See any mouse that is caught in a trap. And they're not having fun. They're trying to wiggle out of it. And so I call it the bad decision trap because we can get caught up in our bad decisions. We can fall into something that is unpleasant. And then, of course, on top of that, it seems to have no way out. But the other part of a trap, if you want to think of animals that get trapped, is that there has to be some type of bait to lure them in. And it's a bait that looks good to those animals. And it's a bait that maybe smells good. But some people, we are led into our bad decision trap also because of bait, not the bait of food. But we are lured into bad decisions because of things that seem to look good on the outside. They seem to, to feel good. They seem to be good reasons. And so the bait that lead us into poor decisions, into bad decisions, are the bait that we can extract from our lesson tonight. And so one type of bait that lead us into bad decisions are grudges. And that's the first point there. And we see that Herodias in the scriptures held it against John the Baptist. Because he said something to Herod Antipas that she didn't like. Oh, he, he told Herod Antipas that their relationship was sinful. And so she held a grudge against them. And so grudges is that first type of bait that can lead us into this bad decision trap. And so when we think of grudges and when we think of bitterness, you could also think of anger because what, what happens is we allow that anger to settle in and it festers and it takes root. And of course, it becomes a grudge. And that's why you see in Ephesians 4, 
verses 26 and 27, it says to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger, nor give place to the devil. So a literal meaning of this word place. If you look at the Greek behind the word place there in verse 27, it is any portion or space that is marked off as it were from surrounding space. In other words, he's saying don't allow the enemy to have any real estate in your life. Don't give the enemy an opportunity to act in your lives because of stored up anger. And so that's the first bait we want to avoid because, again, it'll lead us into that bad decision trap. But that second bait that will cause us to fall into a trap is being caught up in the moment. In other words, our emotions. Because Herod Antipas was baited into a poor decision. Why? Because he bit into the bait of pleasure. The way she danced, the sexual way that she was moving in her dance at the party. Oh, it was pleasing to him. And so he was caught up in the moment. And of course, it would lead to a bad decision of offering her whatever she wanted. And ended up in the death of a godly man. But then there's the bait of having a desire to impress people. In verse 26, we see that Herod didn't want to look bad in front of his guests. Because he had swore to her, he made some promises to her. And so he didn't want to look like he wasn't a big shot in front of them. And so he had this desire to to impress his guests. And so he didn't want to back down. And so having a desire to impress people, being a people pleaser could cause us to fall into poor decision making. But also from our study, we can see that pride is another issue. Because he could have been like, you know what, I you know, I changed my mind. I know I look bad, but, you know, I changed my mind. But he had that pride. Again, wanting to look good. But another thing that led him into that bad decision was because he didn't think about the consequences. He didn't think about the consequences, about what it meant when he said, whatever you ask me, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. He didn't he didn't consider what that would mean to some people. And so, of course, that type of bait led him into that poor decision, that bad decision trap. And so he made a bad choice. And so the question is, how do we make better decisions? How do we avoid this bad decision trap? And so the goal is to make better decisions that will result and actions and words that will glorify or that will honor God. And and the main thing we can do to avoid falling into this trap is to allow the word of God to take root in our hearts. Because if the word is firmly rooted in you, and then on top of that, you are rooted in the word of God, 
then guess what? You're going to be rooted. You're going to be planted spiritually. And then it'll result in decisions that's going to result in turn in good fruit from your lives. And so that's the way to make better decisions that will glorify God. Allow the word of God to take root. And the reason I say that is that there was one main reason that we didn't touch on yet. We talked about it a little bit, but I didn't really explain it. There, there's one main reason that caused this whole sequence of events. And that is the fact that Herod Antipas had rejected what John the Baptist was telling him, which was based on the word of God. And so he found himself in a position where he was stuck with his guilty conscience. He found himself in a position to where he was in a position of fear because he thought that John the Baptist had come back from the dead because of all the things that Jesus was doing. But I wonder what would have happened if he would have received the words that John the Baptist had told him from the word of God. What would have happened? What kind of decisions would he have made or even avoided? But instead, he refused to receive the word of God. He refused to receive rebuke. He, he refused to receive correction. He refused to receive instruction and direction based on the word of God. And so he found himself in the position he was in. He did not allow the word of God to take root in his heart. And again, this is, this is why I shared this point with you, which will help us to make better decisions because when we receive the word of God, we are also taking the God that comes along with his word. I'm going to say that again. As we receive the word of God, we are also receiving the God of the word. And so if people would do that, we would make better decisions in our lives. Because when we allow the word of God to take root in our lives, what also happens is that we reject characteristics. We reject other actions. We reject words or Thoughts that are contrary to the character or to the word of God. In receiving his word, we reject everything that is the opposite of him and his word. And so this is a very crucial point. And the main point I want to share with you based on our text tonight of how to avoid falling into that bad decision trap. See, in other words, what we're doing here and allowing the word of God to take root in our lives, what's happening is that the word of God is carrying more weight. It is carrying more weight than the pride. It is carrying more weight in our lives than any other reason or bait that caused us to fall into the bad decision trap. It is, it is weighing more in our lives than having a desire to impress people. The word of God is rooted in our lives. It, is, it has a heavier weight in our lives than not thinking about the consequences. 
than getting caught up in the emotional part of things. When that word of God takes root in our lives, when we allow it to, it holds more weight than the grudges that allow us or that lead us into bad decisions. And just to prove that, I want to share Psalm 119.11 with you. It says that your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart. So in other words, I won't make bad decisions. My God, your word I've hidden in my heart. So I will not fall into that bad decision trap that leads to other people getting hurt. That leads to loss. That leads to hindrances in my fellowship with God. All because, Lord, your your word is hidden in my heart. And if God's word is hidden in our hearts, then what's going to flow out from our hearts are the things that God will have us to do. Things that lean towards the characteristics of God. And as the worship team comes to the stage, I just want to pose this question. Because I know there could be somebody online or somebody in the building tonight. Who may be dealing with the question that I'll pose to you. And the question is, are you struggling with some bad or sinful decisions you made in your life? Maybe that's the case tonight. Maybe that's the case for years. Many of us pulled a Herod Antipas or a Herodias and we let our emotions and Anger to settle in and become a grudge. We made some bad decisions. We hurt some people. We even hurt ourselves. And and we're struggling with dealing with those. So is that you tonight? I just want to encourage you in the fact that God is a forgiving God. If we confess our sins to him, the scriptures tell us that he's faithful and just to Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so just want to encourage you that God is a forgiving God if you're struggling with some bad decisions tonight. See, the natural consequences may not go away. Your memory of those decisions, of course, may not go away. But of course, because God is a forgiving God, the the guilt and the condemnation will disappear when we confess it, when we hand it over to him, when we repent to him, turn to him. Oh, God is a forgiving God. But the also the the other thing I also want to share with you is that God is also a God who restores There'll be many bad decisions I've made and many of you have made, but God is able to restore. He's able to restore relationships. He's able to restore broken hearts. He's able to restore fellowship with him. He's able to restore families and and households and things that were lost in poor decisions. He's a forgiving God and also a God of restoration. And so I want to leave you with that encouragement tonight. And I want to take that bat away from the devil who's using 
those bad decisions you've made to beat you across the head with it. We want to take that away from him tonight. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. We thank you that we are forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that that you allow us to be your children. And many of us have found restoration in our lives and healing. And Father, I just pray those of us who are still struggling with poor decision making that that Father, you would lead them to seek you for wisdom. And that would you remind them of your love for them, Father. Comfort them. And we pray, Lord, for anyone who has not received your son, that you would draw them to Jesus, that you remove spiritual blinders and convict them, Lord, of sin. Lord, if you lead them to that place of repentance and they truly repent and receive Jesus, I testify in this place, that is a great decision. So, Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters tonight that as they leave this place and not your presence, that you would strengthen, that you would heal, that you would encourage, that you, Father, would use them for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.